Welcome to Screen Actors Guild, where we explore Oscar-winning actors and the embarrassing films they'd rather forget. I am your host, Michelle, the anthropomorphic goose. That's- and I'm Henry, the dragon's vacuous asshole. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, I think, all the intro you need to understand that this is the Rami Malik episode. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is obviously our episode As you know about by Oscar now, actor. we are of course talking Rami about <laughs> uh, star of stage and screen, Rami Malek. Uh, yeah, so I like him. I like him. I I'm not a- super familiar with his work beyond Bohemian Rhapsody, but I very much liked him in that. Yeah, he's very good in that. Uh, I like that he wore false teeth for it. Mm-hmm. And apparently he had the false teeth gilded afterwards, and it's like a thing that he has in his house, which is a, a delightfully creepy thing to have. That's dope. I would do the same thing, to be honest. Right? <laughs> right? Uh, he... So I knew him from Mr. Robot initially. Right. I have not seen Mr. Robot. Mr. Robot's good, but it's also just the plot of Fight Club. Like, it's it's just the plot of Fight Club in- with, like, some extra stuff. Oh. But Intentionally? The- is this, like, in the same universe? No. no it's just its own independent no. IP? Okay. No, it's just, like, the... Well, it's not the plot of Fight Club. The plot twist is exactly the same plot twist as Fight okay. Club. Okay. Like, exactly the same. Thanks. Uh, I remember watching being like, this is pretty good. Building to an interest, building to a, a, a climax, a twist. You pick. I didn't know you could do that. Just be like, we're gonna, we're gonna just steal the twist from a different major, like studio project. Mine now. Uh, it's mine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, he's good. Like I, I appreciate his ability to like be both affable and creepy. It's like not everybody can do. It's that face uh, too. I mean, not no shade face. on. Rami Malek because it's not his choice, but he does have a striking face that can look kind of handsome or extremely creepy. He's got a little bit of a buggy outy eye. He sure does. Not that yeah, I should he's... talk shit on big old peepers, because turns out <laughs> I got a pair of those bad boys as well. He he has yeah he has unusually large eyes. I think he's very handsome. Yeah, he's a good looking uh, guy. He's just got unusual proportions. It is. That is correct. Yeah. Uh, so, I have a I have bad news to tell you. Oh God. His IMDb page, because he's not a woman, it's not nearly as interesting. No curves to speak of. No voluptuous no, no, curves to ogle. No, no voluptuous figure as his trademark. His trademark is apparently his wide, expressive eyes, which is like basically yeah, that seems right. And there's like there's 22 items of trivia. Which are all fine. Mm-hmm. There's like nothing that the only actually like interesting or fun one is the one I told you about the the gold teeth. However, okay, there's also a series of quotes, quirks that the quote oh, so, quotes 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 uh, from the actor Rami Malek that the good people at the Internet Movie Database decided were important to write word for word. That's not a part of other people's profiles, is it? Or have they just oh, not no, been interesting up until is. now? Well, they I haven't needed to dive down right. into them until okay. now. Okay. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to read them exactly as written. Okay. And I want you to remember 
that somebody decided to write these down <laughs> word for word. Mm-hmm. Quote one, all you Twilight fans can't thank you really enough for being so supportive. You're really cool people. That is the first uh, Rami Malek quote. It, it should be noted because I know you haven't seen these movies. He is in the third Twilight movie or the last Twilight movie. One of the end ones for, I would say, mm-hmm. a collective 90 seconds. Like mm-hmm. he is not in those movies. Mm-hmm. Like at all. He must play a vampire though, right? He, He's kind he of is, a vampire. Yeah, of guy. course. Okay. Look at that. Look at that. Uh, Look at that. Uh, while you while you're at it, Twilight fans are different. They're very civil with one another. It's a respect because they're all in this together and they appreciate the same things. Is a quote that Rami Malek said and somebody wrote down. Did he say uh, that under duress? Was he being <laughs> no, it, held hostage by a Twilight <laughs> fan and they like put the pen in his hand, gun to head, and made him write that down? <laughs> holding today's paper. Yeah, <laughs> they're all very civilized people and they all get along just fine. Please let me go see my family. Uh, another quote from Rami Malek is: "My sister is an ER doctor and my brother is a teacher." Is a quote from Rami Malek on the Internet Movie Database. Great. Another one is. Not long after the Pacific, I began shooting the comedy Larry Crown, which was also with Tom Hanks, who also directed and plays the title character. These can't be quotes. These are just things grabbed off of Wikipedia and they wrap quotes around them. It has to be, right? <laughs> like, there's no way. I am five that... foot seven and a half and I am a human man, said Rami Malek it's, one day. It's, it's so weird. <laughs> Mara Casey gave him my first job. I saw something online, and it was a part in a Gilmore Girls episode, and I thought I was right for it. Is It's got to be lies. No one talks about themselves like this unless they are writing their own, like, dossier biog- biography in list form. I mean, I, like, it. some of those, like, the, the not long after the Pacific Tom Hanks one, that clearly feels, like, generated oh, by a word processor. 100% like, bot, yeah. But the other ones, like, I don't, it's not that I don't believe he said them. What I struggle with is that somebody decided they were worth writing down. Yeah, it really speaks to the the tenacity of Twilight fans because somebody took to the internet and that somebody was clearly a fan of the Twilight saga. Mm -hmm. And like either the upvotes or just the, the lack of other input punched that up to the top. He won an Oscar. It is as though he's never said anything in public in his life. He had an Oscar like acceptance his, speech. Yeah, it's it's like he's uh, he's like a lost author, like a lost playwright. We only have his one work, and we need to find just what. Give me something. Give me something that yeah. Rami Malek said. I want to know him. No, he's a living actor working in Hollywood today. You could go and ask him shit right yeah, now. Yeah, he's a guy. He's, he's probably on Twitter. I'm sure he's on various forms of social media, saying all kinds of things, daily things, musings, observations. I, I would think so. Uh, so that's that. Those are some of the important things to know about Rami Malek. I feel enlightened. Mm-hmm. Man, a lot of things just circle back to Twilight. Because now that I think about it, and we're not talking about the movie where we watched today yet, but two people <laughs> from Twilight are in this film. I think you could do like a seven degrees of Twilight and everything just eventually comes oh. back to Twilight. Real quick, who's the other one in Twilight? Is it Michael oh, Sheen? Oh, you better believe it's Michael Sheen. That face, okay. that ghoulish grin. Mm-hmm. 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 
so we probably should talk about the uh, the movie Doolittle. The movie that we watched a collective three times. <laughs> right. I It's important that everybody know that that's once for me yeah. because I'm not out of my fucking mind. You guys, the thing is, it's not that I had already seen it and then I rewatched it so that we could do the podcast. I was casually texting Henry right after I picked this movie and he was lamenting that the first 15 minutes were god awful and I said, "What if I watched it twice?" And then in that moment thought, "I mean, I think I could." I never stopped to think about if I sh- should <laughs> but in the last 24 hours i have seen the movie two times it's shocking to me i just did it that you i just did it <laughs> i i'm the comedy bad boy of this duo <laughs> you are you're the comedy bad boy there are movies that we've watched for this show that i would rewatch. this is absolutely not one of them there's not nearly enough to sink your teeth would into. you rewatch cats maybe See, okay, because there's meat on them bones, right? Like, that one has yeah. something else to offer on a second watch. There's, part of the thing with cats is, like, I want to understand. Yeah. I want to know what they were trying to do. 100%. I get it. I've seen I, it multiple times for a reason, because that one I want to introduce to people and be like, you got to see cats. Right. There's, there's some mystery to cats. Mm-hmm. There is, I know exactly what they were trying to do with this movie. I don't know why entirely, but it's very clear what's intended and maybe who it's for. Yeah, that part's only a little bit confusing based on, uh, I mean, we'll get into it, but like a lot of resources were expended to make this thing happen and nobody got anything out of it in the end. No. No one felt happy walking away from this project. No. No. So, uh, so what's interesting about this Doolittle is that it basically presupposes that Amer- that young, very young American children, as far as I can tell, uh-huh. because of the, the way that they set up the jokes in this, know who Dr. Doolittle is and have, like, a, already have some kind of intellectual relationship with him because mm. they invest... Basically, no time in any of the stuff that is, like, historically deemed interesting about Dr. Doolittle. Of, like, how did this come to be? What's his deal? You get a backstory. You do. But it's, like, this... It's, like, two minutes at the top. It's this up-ass two minutes of introducing characters and killing them. Yeah. You know, like, and I actually will argue that that was the strongest point in the movie for me. The intro yes, is old. It is the, it's old-timey animation, kind of like early Disney animation. It has this very nostalgic feel. We start to get a feel for the score, which is done by Danny Elfman. I can't stress enough how much money was thrown at this movie and how many <laughs> like people they brought in who are just like top-tier, A-list, first-choice-on-the-list people. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so you're watching this intro and it's sort of like kind of magical eerie music. And then it's all about Doolittle becoming a doctor, traveling the world, talking to animals, meeting his wife. She dies tragically at sea on an adventure. And then he locks himself away, a shut in at his own estate. It's it's pretty well done. And I was watching it like, I think I'm going to like this movie. 
enough to mm. watch it maybe four, five, six more <laughs> times. <laughs> it's yeah, the intro is by far the most professionally executed part of the movie. Yeah, I'm not gonna say it's good. Huh. Because it the intro also and it's hard to know to whom to ascribe the decisions that the intro makes. Yeah. But there's there's a moment in the intro that I think sets up for the rest of the movie how little sense and like how little logic this movie is going to apply to the world. Okay. Because so the the thing you are introduced to is uh, Robert Downey Jr., Doctor Doolittle, can talk to animals, and people really like him. And he meets this woman who becomes his wife, mm-hmm. and she goes off sailing for some shit. Who knows? Like some exploring, and uh, and she's about to die in this like perfect storm. Yeah. And she takes off her wedding ring, and gives it to a parrot uh-huh. to take away. From- she. So here's the thing. She's about to die, yeah. and she removes her wedding ring, which is a thing you do when you don't want to be married anymore. Oh. It's not a thing you do. She's married like, to the sea now. She's married to old Davy Jones. Right. Like, here's a thing to remember me by. He already has the ring that you gave him. Why would you... I th- Lily Doolittle, why would you give the ring back? Like, that's such a bananas move. <laughs> yeah, I guess when I was watching it, I thought it was more of like a uh, let him know that he was in my thoughts kind of moment. But The parrot can but talk. But the parrot can talk, so that's a good point. Yeah. But yeah, the intro sets you up for a real normal movie. And it has, it has Emma Thompson as the lovely narrator, um, mm-hmm. who, as far as this movie goes, is one of the best parts because she's just being the voice of Emma Thompson occasionally, but almost never narrating the movie. Yeah. She's, I would say that by some argument, the voice of Emma Thompson is the only tolerable thing in this movie. Yeah. It's the visage of Emma. She plays a, a macaw and that parrot is, is pops on screen. Yeah, the parrot's fine. The parrot's really parrot. shining. Yeah, it's... so. I have a list of so highlights, though, so don't even worry about it. I had ample time <laughs> to think of lots of stuff that I like about this movie. I, I, I have a couple highlights. Uh, but we should probably just go down and explain yeah. the, the depth of talent that this movie is bringing to bear. Yeah, yeah, this cast is stacked. Beyond... And and out the gates, I should probably mention that the director is a fairly uh, prestigious filmmaker and oh, screenplay writer. He won an Oscar for Syriana, writing it. Writing, what? he wrote Syriana, and he won what? an Oscar. He also directed Syriana. I'm sorry. Hmm. What? Yes. Also, Syriana another movie he movie. wrote. Another cute movie that he wrote was Traffic. <laughs> wait. <laughs> wait. This gentleman by the name of Stephen Gagan, Stephen Gagan, he also he won a BAFTA for traffic. He won a Golden Globe for traffic. He won an Oscar for Syriana. He has exclusively made dark uh, political thrillers. <laughs> <laughs> was, was he 
bullied into doing this? I don't understand it at all. This movie is rated PG. They don't, you don't see a drop of blood, nary a fuck word, nary a shit. They just, they just shoot him right into a straight kids movie. Yeah. Huh. Very, very baffling. Very interesting choice. That's interesting. I wouldn't. Uh-huh. I wouldn't have expected that. A guy with serious uh, screenwriting chops who apparently couldn't punch up this script. This is like in the 90s, learning that M. Night Shyamalan wrote Stuart Little. Oh, yeah. It's like that level <laughs> that of confusing. That is what it's like, though. It's totally confusing, and it's just like he got thrown a random cash grab freebie by like a studio exec or just someone that he knew. It's really hard to picture how this, like elevator pitch went down yeah i don't what was that lunch like i don't understand (laughs) siriana traffic i mean yeah there's like heads cut off in Siriana. yeah and there's and in this movie robert downey jr pulls a bagpipe out of a dragon's butt. absolutely he does yeah uh yeah so the rest of the cast though too i mean we got we got down downey jr uh, yeah. Fresh out the gates from playing Tony Iron Stark, Man. it was the. It's like the only thing he'd done other than Iron Man in years. Yeah, yeah, and this it, movie is the. This only was thing his he'd done first thing after Iron after Man. Iron Man. Yeah. Uh, you got Antonio Banderas. Yes. Uh, you got Michael Sheen. Michael Sheen, Emma Thompson, Jim Broadbent. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got the woman that played Orietta Mayflower in Fargo season four. Uh, and then the voices. You got Emma Thompson as a parrot. You got Rami Malek as a... a gri- I'm just going to read what it says on yeah, just the go through Wikipedia page. Uh, it's like all A-list. Emma Thompson plays uh, Polynesia, Polly for short, a wise and brave blue and yellow macaw and Doolittle's most trusted advisor. Yes. Rami Malek as Chi-Chi, a shy but noble mountain gorilla. John Cena, the wrestler, as Yoshi, a happy-go-lucky polar bear who wears a chulo because he is always cold. Kumail Nanjiani. As Plimpton, a mischievous and critical but well-meaning ostrich who wears striped stockings and argues with Yoshi as well as carrying Doolittle around on occasion. Octavia Spencer, Oscar winner, yes. as Dab Dab, a helpful but deluded duck with a metal leg. Metal leg, never explained. Never even really mentioned, it's just on screen. Yeah. Tom Holland as Jip, a loyal lurcher, which I guess is a type of dog, oh, who wears dog. glasses. Right. Craig Robinson as Kevin. A cheeky, chippy, red squirrel with a bad attitude. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I like whoever wrote this. Ray Fiennes as Barry, an aggressive Bengal tiger with golden fangs living on Monteverde who has a past with Doolittle and wants to please his mother. Selena Gomez as Betsy, a friendly Maasai giraffe. Marianne Cotillard as Tutu. (laughs) She got like two lines. (laughs) A French fox who's best friends with Betsy and rides on her head. Francis de Latour as Ginkgo who soars, a fire-breathing dragon. Jason Manzoukas as James, a comical dragonfly. Yep. Will Arnett as an uncredited hare mm-hmm. in a prison cell. Hey, I'm walking here. This movie. It's fucking stacked, man. And it's yeah. like, the weird thing, and I feel bad saying this, but I thought the worst choice, voice-wise, voice actor-wise, was Rami Malek. Because hmm. he plays a big big gorilla whose uh whose main plight in life is that he's too cowardly yeah um i think that when you go with a big guy the biggest guy in the room you've got a couple choices and you either pick 
a voice that sounds like the biggest guy, and you go right. like, I mean, John Cena was well cast. That one made sense. Yeah. Or you go little voice. You go, you go really a little, little guy. Right. You could go, I'm thinking like a Mike Tyson. I think mm-hmm. like Ryan Reynolds, he's got a high voice, and he's kind of like a cheeky. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charlie from It's Always Sunny. That's another guy oh, with a high perfect. voice. He he'd goes high. He sounds little. He's a little guy. You know? And instead they just went with a guy. Right, just straight down the middle. And I can't tell you tenor. how... Oh, the, the moment when you first hear the animals speak, I knew I was not in a safe place. <laughs> so, that's interesting. Because the moment that I felt that way, I'm used to the animals speaking in Dr. Doolittle movies. Mm-hmm. That I'm familiar with. I've seen the Eddie Murphy movies. Yeah. What I wasn't prepared for was Robert Downey Jr., Speaking uh, to the animals yeah. in a series of clicks and grunts. <laughs> I hated that a great deal, Michelle. I was jaw open baffled by it. And that feeling did not let up no. for all of the first watch of the movie and most of the second watch of the movie. Because it does continue throughout the movie down to the very fucking end of the movie. An he, hour 40 minutes. He delivers his dialogue like he's doing like an Irish Jack Sparrow who mm-hmm. is drunk, who is too drunk to speak at a normal volume. And so mm-hmm. all of his, all of his, like he's in a little, in a little box and he's trying to whisper into a microphone because he was, that's how he recorded his dialogue. <laughs> it's exclusively ADR with his lips just brushing against the microphone his voice sounds so close and like it's in my own head it's a real it's a real theodore rex vibe yeah this has this movie does have strong theodore rex energy uh did he actually adr a bunch everything was the audio mixing in this movie is the most severe low light for me every single person was mixed so that they just sound like they're in a silent vacuum recording studio it's the most disorienting thing. Right. You'll be listening to a scene and you can't tell where any of the characters are in the scene. Normally, you know, maybe like someone's on the right part of the screen and so their audio sounds like it's coming from farther away and on in the right half of the in the right speakers. But this one it was just like everything was mixed flat and the exact same so it sounds That's... like you're floating around in a vacuum. That's interesting. So watching the movie, I had this like it was really jarring. It's an unsettling movie to watch, and I yeah. couldn't, I couldn't grasp why. Dude. Like I thought it was just the bad content, but that's so. There's like actual technical things they're doing deeply wrong in the movie. It was it was grating on my nerves like minute one, and like Robert Downey Jr. made the inexplicable choice series of choices. <laughs> But the first one, of course, to pick um, an amalgamation of, I want to say, 12 different accents and just His throw them all into so a blender and let them do what they want to do. Down. They describe it as a Welsh accent. And I am I not versed in, in your Greater British Isles accents, but it's, it's, not, it's not a consistent accent in any way, shape, or form. I mean... He sounds like if an Eastern European guy and an <laughs> Irish guy and a Scottish guy, a Welsh guy, like that general British Isles zone. And then he's tra- throwing in like random Jamaican in there. At one point he says like, oh, no, no, it's dangerous, mon. I don't know what to do with that. I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> it's, 
It is so rare that I don't enjoy watching Robert Downey Jr. on yes, screen. Yes, I agree, I find right? him so charming. He is so charming. He he's, just... He's unwatchable in this movie. Yeah, from the get-go as well. Like, And I yeah. was really trying to be on team Robert Downey Jr. Because I thought, okay, this movie is going to get a little weird. But I feel mm-hmm. like he will be the thing that stands out as, you know, a high point. Because... Yeah, no. He's so cheeky. He's funny. He's like, he's got that uh, that pompous kind of smarmy thing that he brings to every role mm-hmm. he's in. Um, he's like feral. And yes. <laughs> he's like, the worst part of the movie. Yeah, and he. I think I'm gonna have to drop in a little sound clip of what just what that sounds like because it is unintelligible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't watch this with uh, closed captioning on either time because who the hell cares? Like. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't matter there were some lines but, i wanted to capture i actually got a couple lines that were worth writing down but you're right most of it is due to nonsense i mean, I mean it's I all due to nonsense some but stuff, some are worth talking about but in about. general like you can't understand what he's saying and you just kind of go with the general vibe that you can suss out so when we meet robert downey jr in this movie he looks like when Robin Williams comes out of Jumanji the first time, mm-hmm. but like even more matted. And he's playing, well, let's say, in in some, he is technically kind of playing chess against uh, Cheech, the Rami Malek gorilla. Oh yeah, the gorilla. Uh, yeah. But he's this is when the movie first I think is becomes clear that like this movie is going to make no sense, and it's going to be aggressively overwhelming. Is that he's playing chess with the gorilla. Mm-hmm. But all the chess pieces are mice yeah. that are moving around independently. And at one point, the gorilla, like, turns around and sits on the chessboard. Okay, what I got out of that is that you start out with, like, what I thought for a kid's movie is kind of a cute touch. It's all the little mice get dressed up with their hats that mean, like, I'm the rook, I'm the king, blah, 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 and they're playing the game out. But right. then, and at this point, there has been no animal dialogue, so I'm still in a safe place. Well, Robert Downey Jr. is grunting. He is grunting, and he's the only one making uh, what could be approaching human noises. But then it's clear that he's winning the game, and so the gorilla just turns its ass around. And I thought that that was like an impending fart joke. I was, I was so convinced that's what was coming. Yeah, because every other part of the movie is like butts, farts, butts, farts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so. So another part of that, this movie is that nobody makes any sense the entire time. So uh, there's a main character, other than RDJ, there's a main character who I'm just going to call Boy because it doesn't matter. Boy, oh, wait, but he has a funny name, though. It's uh, it's Stubbins. Stub, I'm not going to remember that. Stubbins is, okay, I'm gonna, it's fun to say. Stubbins. <laughs> All right, so Stubbins, Stubbins is a little animal lover mm-hmm. who, who lives with Andy Serkis' family. The, the father is not played by Andy Serkis, but his cousin is played by Andy Serkis' son, I believe. He's got Whoa, a real circus looking face. Yeah. Uh, it just came up as I was looking through this, the cast list. Uh, and he, like, accidentally shoots Craig Robinson the squirrel and is, like, bringing Craig Robinson the squirrel to Dr. Doolittle to get the squirrel taken care of. Yeah. And he gets caught in a net. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is, like, a trap. And this uh, posh British girl uh royalty walks up and like starts talking to him as though 
he is meant to be there, knows everything about the area, like just having a casual conversation <laughs> as though like he was sitting, slipping a mint julep on the porch. Lady, he's in a net. <laughs> he has been snagged in a net. Have you left your house before? There's, why would she think that he knows anything? He's stuck in a fucking net. <laughs> And this is when the movie's still pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) I would argue it doesn't go off the rails until at least 20 minutes in. (laughs) Uh, And then somehow she cuts him. We don't see on screen, but this lone, posh, uh, second in line to the throne. 13-year-old girl. (laughs) Traveling alone cuts him down Mm -hmm. from this, like, 20 foot high net comes to the door and then we get what I'm going to estimate is about a half hour of Rami Malek the gorilla screaming at them. Just, <laughs> just shrieking. Yeah, he does just scream take after scream take. It's like I I don't understand who this movie was for. Yeah, it seems like parts of it are like, okay, so it's it's a, it's like a swashbuckling adventure film is how they want to market it. how they portrayed it in the trailer. Yes. And and then it has a lot of like, you know, blue like fart jokes, etc., which are I would say, you know, that like 8 to 11 range where it's like little little kids. Like yeah. but not like babies. And then there's some parts of it where it's just yeah, it's just noises and Moving around and knocking shit over, and it's just baby goo goo gaga nonsense. Real yo gabba gabba. Yeah, it's real. It's like for actual babies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, right. What I wrote down at one point is like this is if the makers of Ace Ventura decided they needed to remake that movie to make it more accessible for <laughs> toddlers with ADHD. Yeah. Like it's there's just so much, and so the the girl has come to find. Robert Downey Jr., because Queen Victoria of England is sick and needs a veterinarian to treat her. I think that she asked for Doolittle by name, right? Wasn't that because he was so notorious? I mean, yeah, she asks for this specific veterinarian to treat her. But at least that's like, you know. The Queen. But like, he. Fundamentally, he is an animal doctor. (laughs) He sure is. Exclusively an animal doctor. Of England. She is, at this point, the most powerful person in the world. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay, so, yeah, do we want to do, do we want to go through the plot, or do we want to just kind of... No, you're right, you're right, you're right. I mean, there's there's some stuff that you kind of need a little bit of the plot to for me to complain about it as, as hard as I want to, but we don't... We don't need to do that necessarily. The plot's uh, pretty simple. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess we could summarize the plot. I'll just, quick. I'll just like wrap it please, really please, quickly. Please, please, so yeah, Queen of England is dying. She asks for Doolittle by name. He reluctantly finally shows up, and then using his dog to to sniff out the her 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 vapors, the dog determines that she has been poisoned by deadly nightshade, and so he <laughs> he figures out that. Uh, the only way to treat this is this exotic fruit that exists in the Tree of Eden on a forbidden island that is unfindable. and That is purely hypothetical. Yeah, it's like one of those uh, like m- 
mythical, like maybe it's not even a real place, but if it is, this is her only hope kind of things. Mm -hmm. Which, to be honest, like it's kind of a fun plot for a kid's movie. Had this been done better, it's just Mm -hmm. one of those like the tree of life kind of like things. Gotta go save the queen and it's like all noble and conquest and, you know, big big old swashbuckling adventure. It's it's all the in-betweens that make it not add up. Mm -hmm. Because then... Mm -hmm. He does, he he eventually finds his way to the, forget the king's name, but the... Um, Antonio the, Banderas. Yeah, Antonio Banderas playing this guy, and uh, he is the father of Doolittle's uh, wife that he lost at sea. And he's got to find her journal so that he can find the Tree of Life, blah, blah, blah. And then he finally gets there, and he meets a dragon, and then the dragon helps mm-hmm. save the queen, and then the queen's fine. That's basically the plot of the movie. It could have gone so well, is all I'm saying. Like, yeah, that's not there's... really the plot itself, the overarching plot, not a problem. It's just everything else where you're like, oh, well, decisions were made. Yeah, there's a fun movie in there. Uh, I There's a thing that I appreciate about this movie is how little it respects its audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, even more than for, like, the average kid's movie. Because... The inciting thing that gets Robert Downey Jr. to go and see the Queen is that the Queen's, like, the Queen has bequeathed this animal preserve to him. Oh, yeah. uh, which is a place that somehow, like, giraffes and elephants are comfortable in England. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, and the deed is only good so long as she is alive. Mm-hmm. And that's an important enough plot point that is explained twice yeah. in rapid succession. Once by a human girl and once by a parrot within three minutes of each other. Mm -hmm. Like, they just assumed that we weren't listening to the first one. It is straight up the exact explanation (laughs) twice in three minutes. It's Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, because kids, though, right? But the thing is, kids aren't going to give a shit about the deed and this and that. Like, yeah, it's they just legal. had to hammer it's, it's home, fucking... like, these animals are about to be out on their ass in the middle of hunting season, so I guess you got to go save everybody. So let's explain real estate law twice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, uh, it's all kind of stuff that, like, they, they mention really passively, like, oh, this is what's happening. It should have been, like, if they're going to hammer it home that heavy-handedly, it should have been a guy coming up to the actual door to, like, nail something to the door and say, mm-hmm. you are about to be evicted. Like, right. just lean into it and be, like, kids movie. And instead, yeah. it's it's that, and then it's Robert Downey Jr. muttering under his breath, and his accent just sounds like, only that, like, if it was 12 feet away from you. It's so quiet. Uh, so, I have a bunch of questions that I would like help answering. I hope we I know the to, answers, because I have, have seen this movie a, wa- a bit. Uh, a bit at this point. So, uh, actually, I think I'm going to hold those those with me for a moment. Okay. You have things you liked in this movie. I, I would really like to did. know what those are. Okay, a few uh, of the casting okay. choices. Straight Great. out the gates. Great. Kumail Nanjiani. I liked him. Yeah, he's all right. He plays the uh, he plays the neurotic ostrich that's constantly getting like freaked out and sticking its head in the ground. And like for mm-hmm. a kid's movie, I think it plays well. I think he yeah. gets the kindest treatment dialogue-wise of any of the other characters. He's always charming. Well, there is one time he falls in the water and he says, "I can't fly and I can't swim." 
which I feel bad for him that while dying, he felt the need to announce a thing that he couldn't do that was unrelated. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, he's he's charming enough. I I liked Michael Sheen quite a bit. I was on board because he's basically a cartoon bad guy. He plays yes. like a pantomime villain over the top, like grinning and just short of like rubbing his palms together. I mean, he's like for a kid's movie and also just for the experience of watching Michael mm-hmm. Sheen most of the time because that is the general vibe he brings to things. I was on board with Michael Sheen. I have a thing I want to say about Michael Sheen in this movie. Say it. I want to go to, uh, to go on the record in defense of Michael Sheen's chin. In this movie, they like four separate times say that Michael Sheen has no chin. Yeah. I have looked at pictures of Michael Sheen from many angles. He has a chin just fine. He has a regular human man's chin. It looks like a regular, in some ways, maybe even an unusually defined chin by global standards. Like... The movie just decides he has no chin and sticks to it. But, like, we're looking at his face on screen. Like, he's... Yeah, you know what's weird is I actually kind of thought he was a smaller-chinned man until this movie where they give him a full beard to accentuate his chin. So if they're going to make all those jokes, then, like, give him a a funny mustache and lean into the fact. I think he's just sort of a pointy-faced boy. You know, maybe it's just like, it's a little more like a, like a teardrop kind of situation. No, pull up a picture. He's got like a strong jaw. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Like, it's like they had decided they were going to cast Paul Giamatti and then he wasn't available. And so they just like Michael Sheen was standing nearby and they said, well, you're a good actor and we're going to decide that you don't have a chin and just hope that nobody notices. He has a chin. I, I think it's good. I think he has a good chin. a normal chin. chin, I guess. They did say something about... Um, <laughs> there's a moment when Robert Downey Jr. is on a ship looking at Michael Sheen on another ship. They cross telescope paths, and he says something about like the man with the tiny chin. And Michael Sheen reads his lips, and he says, he said something about my chin. And then they just cut to this guy who only gets like one line in the movie. And he's got a really funny little fringe haircut mm-hmm. and a big funny mustache. And he just delivers the, it's a magnificent chin, sir. <laughs> and that was a highlight. It was a funny line. And yeah, I was just right. like, this guy, more of this guy. All the people that get almost no speaking parts, I wanted to see way more of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's fair. But I'm there's just, it's kind of a numbers game. Because not only is this cast stacked, but then they just threw in extraneous bullshit at every turn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... I kept like latching on to the background things because it's all I had at a certain point. And like two of my highlights were things that are just moments that happen on screen and then you never see that person again. And it was like, well, that clearly is the best part of this movie. Is Prisoner Jeff one of those? Is Prisoner Jeff. <laughs> please, please bring, explain Prisoner to Je- Jeff to us because oh. I. There's a, th- there's a couple of those. Please, please. Okay. it's If this was the kind of movie where I could get a sense that this was indeed on purpose, I would be mm-hmm. even more all about it than I already am. So, like, after he lands on Antonio Banderas's island, uh, his ship gets destroyed, but then he makes amends with Antonio Banderas, and then he gifts him a new ship in its mm-hmm. place. So he gets on board, 
and they're like working out the kinks of the ship because it's a little bit slapdash together. It's not operating properly. And then it just, camera just like quickly floats over to this guy that just says, he's in, um, what do you call it when you're- The uh, stocks. The stocks, yeah. He's, he's in the stocks with his arms. And he's just, he just says, hi, I'm Jeff. And he's on screen for that one second. And then you never see him again. If memory serves, at first he's covered in a blanket, right? And they, like, pull the blanket off yeah. of this man who's been covered by a blanket indefinitely. Well, and so, yeah, exactly. And when I saw that, the first watch I watched with Jesse, and I was like, oh, was that, like, a big celebrity cameo? Who was nope. that? Because I figured, like, the reason you'd have this really weird, funny beat is because it's going to be a big reveal. And then we kept, like, squinting and looking, like, where's Jeff? Where's Jeff? Guys, Jeff's gone. Jeff never comes back and he's not a famous actor. He is... I looked it up because I was trying to figure out if the Jack Rabbit... He's just some guy. He is... He is in very little to nothing. Yeah, like he was recently like a background actor in Cruella, I think was his most like uh, famous It's It's famous actor is Sid Sagar. Yeah, he is just a guy. He's basically an extra, and I get the sense that the studio was like, more comedy. And so they just <laughs> threw in stuff, but then they're like, ugh, but we're running short on that one one hour, 30 minute runtime. Like, we gotta, we gotta cut something. Don't lose Jeff, but just don't put too much <laughs> Jeff in there. <laughs> it wouldn't shock me if Jeff is part of a reshoot, where they're like, we need something to make this movie slightly more enjoyable they did Uh, so much reshooting for this movie too like nearly a month of reshoots (laughs) Uh, there's also an orangutan that appears yeah that was my other favorite thing (laughs) (laughs) go for it describe the orangutan so robert Downey jr is like he's decided that he's opening up a new doctor's office on antonio banderas's island and he says he's cured everybody. And then it cuts to an orangutan that we've never seen before and we'll never see again. Who's just like a little flamboyant and cuts away. And Robert Jr. said, RDJ says, well, we can't cure him. And he it's never, like the... he never comes back. No, it's like the all is lost moment where all of the animals expect an inspiring pep talk. And then instead, Robert Downey Jr. just plummets into despair and says, fine, I'll just live on the island and, like, cure people here, blah, blah, blah. And then there's, like, yeah, this orangutan pops out, and he's wearing a floppy hat, and he's got beads and, like, dreadlocks, <laughs> like, in all of his fur, and he just says, ladies, gentlemen, who would like to dance? I've got a bad case of dancing fever, so watch out, it's infectious. And he dances around for under three seconds, and then he is out of that movie. <laughs> I guess there's just... <laughs> There's just no wrong answers when it comes to Doolittle. They're just like, and what if also? Yeah, it's just it's just spinning the wheel and grabbing what you can. I so I have so many questions. Yes. Do you have more highlights before we get to my my battery of questions? <laughs> uh, I did want to mention a low light, which is that the octopus that they have in this movie looks like a series of sausages, and it made me sick. <laughs> <laughs> They gave it fleshy, like, speckled, thick, thick, slimy arms. And, like, an octopus is, I would argue, kind of universally 
cool and creepy. Like, mm-hmm. in every movie it's been depicted in ever, it's always kind of a cool, creepy, slinky thing. And in this movie, it looks like it's just made out of <laughs> sloppy meat. It's ready to pop out of its casing. Oh, my God. <laughs> made me so sad. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> and it doesn't talk. They keep saying it's going to talk, and it doesn't talk to anyone. It, well, it, it has uh, uh, fucking... Like, closed captions. Because it says snitches get stitches. Oh, right. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I guess underwater creatures have to have closed captioning. So I have two things I like, and I want to talk about my, my things. Uh, the, so Craig Robinson plays uh, Kevin the squirrel, mm-hmm. who has been shot by the boy and is resentful of the boy the entire time. He keeps a Kevin's log. That Yeah. I honestly, that it worked for me. It's, it's like him noting how absurd everything is while like nursing this, I think, pretty reliably understandable paranoia about the situation he's in. Yeah. Uh, and it's, I'd say, about as charming as something gets in this movie. He is a highlight. He also, when he's when he gets shot, and uh, I think it's Doolittle holds him up to his ear and lets him say something. He says, I'm too beautiful to die. And it's like... <laughs> For this movie, I was like, oh, maybe the caliber of, like, funny little one-liners will, like, get better, you know? Because that was, like, Unfortunately not. It wasn't a chuckle, but it was, like, a little funny. And then every other line in this movie is, I brought a front row seat to Crazy Town. Yeah, I... be cold, but I'm Who wants a fun. fart? Uh, there's one other line that I liked. Uh, John Cena is talking to, I think, Kumail Nanjiani. Uh, John Cena's a polar bear, and he said they're t- comparing dads. Yeah. Oh, I like this. John Cena too. says, "My dad said he was going out for a pack of seals one night and never came back." That is like, like the only real joke in this movie. It's a it's a genu- it's a real joke that lands. I like, like that's chuckled a, and wrote it down even like last night when I wasn't writing anything down because I was like that was a joke joke like an on purpose one that wasn't just. A throwaway tagline from like every other joke that's in this movie sounds like um, a catchphrase from an '80s sitcom or something. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's real Bojack like, Horseman material. Like, oh, do you understand the words that are coming out of my bill? Says yeah. the goose. And it's like that's like that would maybe be that's... funny if Chris Tucker was the voice of the goose. <laughs> right, this is a reference to a thing that nobody remembers. Or if Jackie Chan was the voice of the goose, or if anyone watching this movie and was the target audience was over thirty years old. <laughs> but like all the referentials are just and like there's a there's a fucking um, Godfather reference as well. But it's not even like a reference, like a clever one. It's literally just an aunt that says, "You come to me on the day of my father's, on my day of my daughter's I wedding." It. I hated it so much, Michelle. Yeah, Did and then they have, have this whole non sequitur conversation about his daughter that does not have anything to do with the movie, just to justify that one fucking throwaway line that no one needed. Like, I feel like at some point the studios decided that the thing that they'll give parents for taking their kids to a children's movie is a reference to The Godfather. Yes, yeah, absolutely. We we watch other movies, and we've now seen the same fucking Godfather joke. There's also other things in The Godfather. If you want to do The Godfather, like, fine. But, like, the day of your daughter's wedding is the... It's what... That's a three-hour movie. You could pull anything from that movie if if you insist on giving us The Godfather every fucking children's movie. 
Yeah, like a sleep I, with the fishes line or something like the octopus something. says. Something I, normal and that like makes sense in the context of the fucking kids movie you're watching. Look what they done to my boy. They shot him with a thousand bullets. Yeah. Whatever you want in this kids movie, I'll take it. You know, uh, I really it gets it starts approaching that zone where it feels like it was a script, but the script was all placeholders. Like mm-hmm. insert joke here, insert reference here, and they're like, "We'll punch it up later." And then they just called someone and they're like, "Ah, we need something for this." And they just mm-hmm. got a bunch of people to give them random bullshit, like, on the spot. And it was never, like, we need a joke for the parents. What do parents like? Mob movies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes, I guess. Yeah, fine. Uh, parent, all right. Every parent, I hope, had a lot of edibles before they took their kids to this movie. Because, dear God, otherwise. There's, just, there's nothing to like about it. Uh, just other me. than the seals joke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> First question. Yeah. What is the mechanism for learning to talk to animals? Because... Unclear. In the movie, the boy takes years to learn peacock. Yeah. Like, from the beginning to the end, he's, like, practicing peacock to Robert Downey Jr. Yes. He's, like, He learns Firefly immediately. Firefly? Because he's talking to Jason Manzukis the whole time. Oh, the dragonfly. I had oh, the dragonfly, okay, right. Okay, so the thing about that, though, is I am not confident the boy can understand him. Oh, you think Jason Manzukis is just talking to him? Like, the first time around, talking. I assumed that they were talking to each other. And then the second time around, he's not talking to the dragonfly. The dragonfly is just buzzing in his ear talking to him. That's true, but he's, like, responding to things that Jason Manzukis buzzes at him. So like One he, of the things he says, though, is you're going to want to creep through these halls. Keep your disguise on at all times. And then the next thing he does in that moment is rip his beard disguise right off. So, like, I don't know if he can well, hear him. That's interesting. That's interesting. I don't feel like he's responding to or acknowledging. Like, he's barely looking at him. And the second time around, because Jason Manzukis isn't given a lot of good dialogue, but I do think he is a highlight because he brings I like that. I to hear his voice. He brings that Zook energy to whatever he... <laughs> and they give him the same character or whatever. Whatever he's in, yeah. he's that guy. So I was still happy to hear him. But I don't... I didn't see a single shot where it looked like the boy was reacting to him in the movie. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, but also, I like, could Doolittle I could have like, sworn that he was, like, following everything. the direction. But yeah, like, Doolittle can understand. It seems like in the beginning you are given the notion that, like, Doolittle has this special thing that he can talk to animals. Yeah. And then this dumb boy, who doesn't know what ironic means, yeah. can just, like, pick up very quickly how to talk to a wide variety of animals. Yeah. But not intuitively. Like, he has to learn how to do it. So there is a mechanism to learn how to talk to animals. Yeah. But, like, at different rates? It's a good point because you kind of get the sense at the beginning that the little boy is the main character. Mm-hmm. They introduce him first. He's on screen for the first 10 to 15 minutes, like almost exclusively. And then he's he's in the movie, but his character doesn't mean anything after that. He's sort of learning how to speak animal, very like academically, like like figuring it out. But I guess I just kind of thought at some point he'd just like learn it and then he'd be Doolittle too, Electric Boogaloo. Yeah, he's like being edged out of the movie over the course of the movie. Yeah, like you think that maybe he's going to have a love story with that like a uh, little princess girl and then that 
Nope. Doesn't really ever come to... He kind of is just a side character by the end. So he was just like an introduction mechanism so you could meet Doolittle in his horrible Welsh accent. Right. You'd think he'd be like instrumental in the climax of the movie. Yeah. And I think all he does is like hold the dragon's hand, which a lot of the other animals are doing. Like he is... He could not be in the movie, and the movie would be the same. That's true. He doesn't matter in the context. In this, <laughs> doesn't matter in the plot of the movie You at know what all. I think it is? I think because of the amount of money they pumped into it, that they were hoping for a sequel. Mm. And if they were hoping for a sequel, the only logical way that that's probably going down is if there's like a second generation of Doolittle. Like he's got to take over the hmm. next one in hmm. case they don't get that downy magic round two. Because like... I mean, uh, this movie, it cost $175 million. It's... It stands I mean, to reason that they hoped it would be... Didn't Dr. Doolittle have a sequel back when they did the Eddie Murphy like one in the 90s? two or three of the Eddie Murphy days, See, yeah. I think they were definitely banking on this kid coming back, and they're like, he doesn't need a lot of screen time. He'll get his due. But if that's the case, why this kid? Because he's know. He's not very He's also sort of nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. There's other young British actors that I would watch. Yeah, he's uh, not great. Yeah. Second question. Yes. H- how did Lily Doolittle, the late Doolittle wife, have a map of the island that she was looking for with the parrot, but the parent didn't know anything about it? So, like, Lily oh, Doolittle dies on the way to look to the island that nobody's found. Yeah. But she has a journal that has the specific notes on where in the island to go to get this forbidden fruit tree. Yes. And it's like, you know, lost at sea with her. If she had made it to the island, the parrot would know. Yeah, the parrot's the captain's log. Why wouldn't the parrot know? The thing is, I don't think that she made it to the island because the parrot would know. So she didn't make it to the island, but somehow she knows everything about the island. So... Yeah. I... Sus. I want I want an answer, but I don't know that I'm going to find an answer because it the movie hmm. it's not that kind of movie. It's not the kind I... of movie. Really, like okay, I know that I said at the top of this that I think the plot is fine. I mean <laughs> that I think the idea of the plot is fine yeah, because the, the reality contours. of it feels like a series of vignettes that are connected loosely by a little bit of voiceover or just like a montage of a ship kind of at sea. Mm-hmm. But it really just feels like someone created all these ideas and then threw them on the ground and shuffled them around and said, like, eh, movie? <laughs> I don't know why it feels like that. But it just, I think part of it is that they set you up so well at the beginning, like, here's the story. It's going to happen. And there's a narrator and, like, you're in right. good hands. And then the narrator's just gone. It has a real premise. No, gone. Yeah. Uh, and then it's just, you're just stuck with, you're just stuck with Dr. Doolittle. mumbling and bumbling to himself trying to do some kind of like welsh jack sparrow yeah at the lowest you know that's what he was hoping for right hoping for for jack sparrow energy and yeah yeah absolutely um how'd you feel about barry the tiger didn't love it didn't love barry the tiger how did you feel i wasn't a huge fan of any of it until i will say the little scene where he manages to uh do the reflected light on the ground and the tiger runs around like a little cat. I was like, okay, that's, that's like, that's, that's kind fine. of, that's kind of a joke. I liked that. Yeah. That made me smile for a second. 
That's something. It was I something. didn't love when Rami Malek knees him in the balls and he says, my berry berries. <laughs> Ray Fiennes. Ray Fiennes, a real actor, had to say that in a studio mm-hmm. one day for at work. Probably over and over again. Yeah, definitely over and over again. Yeah. Uh, so, my, I have two really big questions. <laughs> okay. What is the deal with Jim Broadbent in general in this movie? Here's because the there's some stuff about him that makes no sense. Okay, I will say going into it, when I saw Jim Broadbent on screen, my the two first things that I thought and said out loud were: first, I love Jim Broadbent almost always. I am he's a, a great. Actor. I am a fan. I think he's delightful. Great big bushy beard. I just am a big, <laughs> big broadband fan. Also, can you imagine him being not the adult, old ass Jim Broadbent he is now? Try to really quickly in your mind's eye imagine a fourteen year old like, Jim Broadbent. Like he was a young man at some point <laughs> when he wasn't talking like this. There are some of there are some actors like that where like I know that they were young, uh, and I'm like no, but they've always been old. And I look them up and like. Some of them don't actually look right to me as young people. Like, Judy Dench doesn't look quite right to me as a young person. Like, I've, I've found pictures of her. And like she's not, like, a bad-looking young person. But, like, she doesn't... It doesn't look right somehow. Okay. Looking up young Judy Dench. And... Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's got... It's all in the eyes. I can see that she's in there. Yeah. But that face was not meant to be a young person's face. No, it's like she was she was planned to be old and famous. Uh, young Jim Broadbent, as it turns out, looks oddly like Randy Quaid. <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> With his little mustache that <laughs> he's rocking mustache. in some of these photos. Yeah. Uh, so that's not my primary beef with Jim Broadbent in this. In fact, I, I think... As an huh. actor, he's doing his best. Yeah, I I was down with him as a person. Um, his character, I guess, is the thing you've got beef with. So hit me, hit me with those cues. So all right. So the first thing is, he he poisons the queen mm-hmm. because he believes he'll be able to take the throne. Yes. As far as I can tell, he's a member of parliament, so that's not how that works. But okay. <laughs> he also poisons the queen, but leaves the heir untouched, like. If, if he were somehow in the line of succession, as far as we can tell, the, the girl that Boy is interested in, uh, she's like the second line to the throne. Yeah. He doesn't touch her at all. Like, she's just there the whole time behind, beside Queen Victoria. Oh, yeah, that's, so that's true. What an idiot. Here, while we're talking about an idiot, he poisons <laughs> the queen with a poison that takes a week or two to take effect. Yes. And then keeps it on himself at all the times. entire time throughout multiple wardrobe changes. Which means that he poisons the queen. He takes off all of his clothes. Yep. Takes out the vial. Puts the vial on his dresser. Takes new clothes in the morning. Grabs the vial. Puts it in his coat pocket. Does it again and again for a week or two. Yeah. It's a, you, it's a movie You already made for did it, Broadbent. Because when they reveal that it, he had done the poisoning, it's not enough to just put some clues together. It's got to be a smoking gun in the killer's hand while you're watching him say, I just shot this gun off. Like, <laughs> it's, it's made for babies. Like, what? 
Also, Prophet, the leave way the poison that, at home. You already did it. The way that they reveal that Jin Broadbent was out for blood is either the sloppiest thing or the most <laughs> nonsensical thing, or it's just completely contemptuous of its audience because it makes not a lick of sense. <laughs> There's been a little stick bug that hangs out in the room hiding and listening in as a spy so that it can find out what's actually going on and obviously deduces that Jin Broadbent's character is trying to take the throne. That's mm-hmm. fine. And then when Doolittle shows up, saves the queen's life, the stick bug whispers in its ear what had happened. Also mm-hmm. fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what Doolittle relays to the audience is, like all leaf insects, he speaks in eight-syllable <laughs> phrases, which is like a ridiculous thing. But like, I'm, I, it's Doolittle. I'm here to roll with it. It's fine. And so he's and he is counting out the syllables on his right. fingers. And the first thing he says is, in his right pocket, the vial. Wait, that's only seven. And you can see that it's seven because he's holding up the number seven. So then the next thing that he says is. In his right pocket, the vial of deadly nightshade, which is 12 syllables. It's not divisible by eight. It doesn't make any sense. And they just move on because it was the one thing they couldn't cure with ADR because he's holding up his fucking fingers, making it impossible to fix later. And they probably couldn't get a reshoot because there's like five different characters in that scene together. And they're just like, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Just push on. It's for eight-year-olds. I mean, do they hate me? Do they think I'm a dumb person? I'm not arguing with that I might be a dumb person. I watched this movie twice in a whole day. I'm just saying, I don't want them to know that. Yeah, it. The movie's deeply disrespectful to its audience in a way that doesn't can't even be explained by the for kids. Frankly, it's rude. Uh, last question, Michelle. Yes. How does dragon digestion work? Um. Apparently it doesn't at so, all. So well, no, it's not. It doesn't at all. Uh, so the the culmination, the denouement, the climax of the movie yes. is that they come upon a dragon. The dragon's angry. It kills a bunch of people in this children's movie, uh, which is sort of wild. Yeah. Uh, Michael Sheen dies by falling down a hole. Uh, then Robert Downey Jr. intuits. That the dragon has an impacted colon, and he has to fish things out yeah. of the dragon's colon yeah. to relieve its pain. Yep. So he sticks his arms up the dragon's asshole, yeah. and he pulls out uh, a suit of armor, mm-hmm. a some digested human bones, yep. uh, and then he gets a giant fart that blows Craig Robinson's squirrel across the wall. And then he pulls a bagpipe out of her ass. Uh, a bagpipe that is made primarily of a pig bladder. So, hmm. the, the dragon can clearly digest human flesh. It has yeah. eaten a person and digested its flesh and all the bones are left. Yes. I can accept that it can't digest metal. Yeah. That's fine. <laughs> that that tracks. A bagpipe is, is like... Disp- I could eat a bagpipe. I could digest a bagpipe. <laughs> like okay the other thing about that scene i i'm gonna say it up front like poop and fart jokes are 
the lowest possible thing on the list of things that get a laugh from me. Like, I <laughs> will run away from that at all costs. It's not my favorite humor at all. But in that scene, how are you going to have a fart joke followed by a bagpipe coming out of a dragon's asshole and miss the opportunity to make a bagpipe song come out of a dragon's asshole? Right, it's Why got a musical put instrument the in there. In there, if it's not going to do bagpipe stuff, I don't understand. Did they like get a bad viewing, and they had to like do some kind of like, oh, test audiences did not like the, did, did not like the funeral dirge. <laughs> Fuck. You're right. What a missed opportunity. I know. Also, he starts that whole process by shoving a leak into her asshole, like. <laughs> Sometimes more things in help. <laughs> it's really weird. Uh, Ugh, this movie. So there's there's two more things. They're not questions. They're just ways the movie ends that I hate. Yeah. Uh, the first is like, so they, they get the magic fruit. They take it back. They cure Queen Victoria. Uh, they like throw Jim Broadbent in prison or whatever. And uh, Queen Victoria wakes up turns to her daughter and calls her daughter Lady Rose, yeah. which I think is like wildly too formal for any. I've seen I've seen the crown. They call each other by their names. Yeah. Second, the queen has woken up from almost dying. The queen of the most powerful person in the world. Uh, you're meeting the queen, boy, Stubbins. Uh, she turns to Stubbins. This is the queen of England, the yes. most powerful person in the world. She turns to him. Who is meeting the most powerful person he's he has or will ever meet. Yeah. And he says to her, I want to be an animal doctor. What a fucking dweeb. <laughs> yeah, she says, why is he staring at me? And then uh, Lady Rose chimes in, oh, he saved your life. And then he follows with, I want to be an animal doctor. And it's and that just, is, That's it. That's, that's all he says to her. That's it. And that's a wrap on his character, by the way. <laughs> you get one chance, boy. Do not miss your chance to blow, and you did. Yeah, you, you did. did it. You did it, except, I mean, and there was probably a second movie in it for you, but not so much now, after everything that happened with this movie after it got released happened. Um, yeah, br- bring it to me. Which, by the way, a whole, like, at least 21 days of reshoots. Oh, my God. And that's just so many days. Like, a day on set is the most expensive thing on Earth. I can't imagine how much more money they spent here. Um, And if I'm to believe all of the the buzz around this movie, other directors got brought in later, towards the end, to, like, help fix whatever the fuck happened with this thing. And also, among the people that were paid to fix it, uh, Seth Rogen. I saw that. <laughs> did you hear about this? What a wild thing. He did a What an insult Stern to interview. the director of Syriana. Yeah, they, they needed some people that the studio wanted to help, like, punch up the script or help save it. And it was, and this is, like, in 2018. The movie was set to come out in 2019. And they already knew at that point that it was not going well. And that's when they brought him on. To do whatever. I mean, I'm sure he did his best. You can't save a sinking ship. <clears throat> but, um, yeah. Oh, another another thing that would have happened if things had gone real different is that it was originally supposed to be scored by Randy Newman. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? 
I do like that. I do like that a lot. You got a friend in Doolittle. <laughs> you got a friend in him. <laughs> uh, another person that did not make it into this movie but was offered a chance to be in this movie, our good pal Nicolas Cage, who for the first time, I believe, in living history, turned <laughs> down a role to be... Can you guess which character? I'm going to give you three guesses. Uh, I... Was was it the goose? It was not the goose. Was it John Cena? It wasn't John Cena, and for your last guess, I'll let you know that it was not a voiceover role. Hmm. <laughs> the, I mean, that leaves very few options. I know. I would. I know. I would have to assume. Antonio Banderas? Yeah, it was Antonio Banderas. I mean, it's like the only non-British character. Like he's like the that's... pirate king, scallywag, like dude with his with his actual Antonio Banderas accent, brandished in gold and bronze, and they are gonna hand that to Nicolas Cage until he said no, thank you. That, that's not I mean, that's not wrong, I guess. Like Cage could bring an interesting energy to that role. Oh, there was a thing I wanted to talk about about that role. Yeah. So. The, this is stupid, but uh, it bothered me a lot. The boy says, so, like, Robert Downey Jr. says something's ironic. The boy says, I don't know what ironic means. Mm-hmm. Then Robert Downey Jr. says, irony is when you find a woman and she makes your life more wonderful than it had any right to be, and poof, she's gone, and it's all your fault. That is, that is not what that irony is. That is not what is. irony is. Then Antonio Banderas joins and says, irony is me wanting to kill you with every fiber of my being, but loving my daughter more. No. Also, also, like, not what irony means. And you're both trying to teach this boy the definition of irony. It's like they what? watched the... They listened to Alanis Morissette, and they said that that was a yeah, lesson. But, like, couldn't have even been... Like, Alanis Morissette, it was like, it's like almost right. Yeah. This could not be let. Those are just those are just sad things. Yeah, you just named sad things. Yeah. Oh God. Apparently, speaking of sad, so part of why they had to like do a lot of like fixing of this movie is that back in uh, 2018, when they the studio recognized it had a lot of faults, two of the faults that were listed um, was that it wasn't family friendly enough. Hmm. And that it didn't have very many special effects, and it had a sad ending. So it wasn't family-friendly enough with a sad ending. What? And that it didn't have very many Henry special effects. <laughs> it's, it's all. There's not a single practical thing in this movie. What is this art house version of Doolittle? <laughs> it's like an Ingrid Bergen version of Doolittle, where it's just black and white, and it's Doolittle standing on a stormy cliffside, staring off into the void, <laughs> saying, life is meaningless, and then the movie ends. <laughs> That's... I mean, show me that cut. I'm so Yeah, curious. I want that so much more. Like, I bet it's not good, but I bet it's not this. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Uh, uh, I mean, it's worth s- mentioning this movie did make money. Like, it made money? It, it cost a cool 175 mil. It had a di- domestic flop. It was only $77 million. But, you know, that interna- international box office mm. gross, especially that good China money, Made it make two hundred and fifty million dollars. It 
it made $75 million. It made money. It was a box office success and a critical, enormous flop. And it came out in 2020 when the stakes could not have been lower. Couldn't have been lower. Like, nine movies came out last year. God. Uh, so, there's really only one interesting thing that's worth sharing about this from the Internet Movie Database. Okay. Uh, basically, the plot keywords are what you'd expect. Nothing... Because there's no panties in the movie, there's just like <laughs> yeah, it's a PG there, It's a it's a relatively low uh, horniness movie in general. So you're gonna have low horniness in the plot keywords, yeah. which is really what what you come to the show for. It does. There is one plot keyword that is slime house, which I think. Is- <laughs> I do not know what I thought was going to come out of your mouth, but it was not slime house. <laughs> what the hell? I don't know. I don't know. The rest of them were like Victorian era, ship, duck, talking to an animal, slime house. <laughs> It's a real slime house, Jordan. You know, you catch my drift. Yeah, boy, I don't know what it means. <laughs> Wait, what uh, happens when you click on slime house? Are there other slime house movies? There are 814 titles with slime house. Oh, fuck. That, that can't be right. That what? can't be right. No, no. Like. <laughs> Is this a thing? Are we learning about a new seedy underbelly of the internet right now? I guess it's like. It really covers a lot of ground. It's like the Suicide Squad, both of the Space Jam movies. <laughs> Ghostbusters, which makes sense. That's slimy. Yeah. yeah Boss know. Boss Baby Family Business is on the list. Uh, uh, the Lost Boys is on the list. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. <laughs> like you expect Flubber. You expect Ghostbusters. You don't so, expect both Space Jams. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, some of them, like Turner and Hooch. Well, yeah, that's pretty slimy. Uh, all right. So th- that wasn't even the thing I was meaning to, uh, oh. to say that I think is interesting. It is, <laughs> slime House is pretty good. Uh, so the ratings of this movie in most countries uh-huh. basically tracks. Canada, PG. United States, PG. Uh, Germany, six-year-olds can see it. PG-13 in Malaysia, though. Uh, which is like... Other things rated PG-13 in Malaysia, Black Widow, The Tomorrow War, uh, Suicide Squad, Avengers Endgame, The Matrix. So, what? like, I want to know what happened there. Was it the dragon? What? Uh, maybe? Was it? Was, was it the... Maybe it was the four exclamatory uses of God, or the two uses of heck, or the one expensive excrement word, or the one exclamatory use of heavens. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's so funny. Oh, it really, it really boggles the mind. Yeah. While we're on the quick subject of dragons, I would say like one of the only cool things in this movie is that they made the dragons bit out like uh, a flammable liquid before charring their victims. Have you seen that in a dragon movie before? Oh, was that a flammable liquid? I just sort of assumed that was like 
just gross spit up. I think it was it's, like a flammable like a liquid, fluid. and I was like, that's pretty fucking metal for this oh, kid's that's movie. That's that honestly, like, really graphic. The whole dragon thing is pretty, is like, I would say kind of scary for what what presents as a very little kids movie totally because that dragon's like not a not a good timey like pixar dragon it's a dragon not. dragon game of thrones dragon and then it does yeah. game of thrones dragon shit like put flammable burning liquid on its victims and then light them on fire with its mouth yeah and then like eat them not on screen but barely off screen yeah uh yeah man i I just, this is a non sequitur, but I feel like it bears, um, I feel like it's it's relevant adjacent. So okay. Robert Downey Jr. based his character, uh, his, his muttering uh, Jack Sparrow-esque character on a real Welshman named Dr. William Price. Mm-hmm. Of course. Why wouldn't uh, you for this movie? Who was a Victorian era gentleman. No one knows what he sounded like. <laughs> so there is literally no way to know if anything was based on this gentleman. I mean, his character's based on Dr. Doolittle is who his right. character's based on. Right. So the only other thing he could base on anything would be the voice and like the verbal and physical cues, which he based on person that there are only written records of. But while we're here... <clears throat> <laughs> this guy was like kind of a badass. He was a nudist. He Great. refused to wear socks. Uh, he um he was opposed. That goes with the nudism, I imagine. Uh huh. He was opposed to marriage, which he saw as the enslavement of women. He was pro free love. He was a pro vegetarian. This is Victorian England. Argued many doctors were just profiting off of drugs rather than mm. treating the root causes of illness. Believed religion was used too often to enslave people. Argued for cremation rights and equal democratic rights for all men. So, like, huh. kind of a badass dude and generally beloved by Welsh people. And I I think is exiled to France. I I have to imagine it's just pure snobbery that made Robert Downey Jr. say that he based his character on Dr. William Price just to flex that he knew who the student was, right? right? Just, uh, that's a straight-up Google search before he went on Joe <laughs> Because Rogan. there's none of that is there's, present here. No, there's nothing to base that on. It's just so that I would Google it, find out who this guy was, and be mildly impressed that he was. <laughs> uh, don't worry, though. Even though this movie got six Razzie nominations and one Razzie win... It got it got a real award too. Robert Downey Jr. won the Kids Choice Award for Best Actor, so all's well that ends well. That's gotta that's gotta be paid off, right? Like, there's how are they still doing the Kids Choice Awards? Are people still watching that? They did it in 2020 when I have to imagine it was all virtual, like all hermetically sealed. Yeah. Uh, At this point, it was Christ. definitely like, and who? I mean, no one was watching it because of how could they? So I think it happened in a vacuum they... i just i just realized there's a different so there's a thing on the parents guide to do a little that i've never noticed before okay so you know like sometimes th things are found relevant or not relevant so in the sex and nudity column it is marked as none yes uh right. 112 of 166 found this to have none which means <laughs> 54 people believed this movie had nudity in it. <laughs> I mean, the animals? 
the, I guess the animals are naked the whole time. Oh, uh, you know what it is? Is that that ostrich is wearing socks, which makes every other oh. animal nude. <laughs> Ostrich is wearing socks. John Cena's wearing a hat. Yeah, Camille uh, Gianni ruined it for everyone. I literally, though, literally, though. I mean, like, were there cut what? scenes? Did other people see a cut I didn't see? That's the sad version. The sad, <laughs> sad just version. Robert Downey Jr. exposing himself at is, the end. That's how he's based on the nudist <laughs> Dr. William Price. <laughs> just naked, alone, afraid, missing his wife, holding both wedding rings, sobbing. <laughs> <laughs> Why would she give it back? Why would she? <laughs> Why give would back she give it back to me as her final act? <laughs> it's, God, it's gonna be the one that sticks in my craw more than anything. Else this terrible movie. <laughs> Funny. Uh, well, um, I must ask if you had to be a character in this fine cinematic adventure. God, uh, Kumail Nanjiani, I guess. No. Take it back. John Cena. John Cena had the most fun. Yeah, just a, Cena. a big, strong bear that gets cold all the time. Yeah. How about you? I want to know what those whales are up to. Oh, yeah. The whales seem like they're having fun. They have this cool thing where they've got, like, a tuba that hooks up to some kind of sonic wave thing, and it, like, lures in all the whales, and then it puts them in a net, and then they drag the boat with a net. But, like, they're just doing crazy whale shit down there. That's true. What I mean, being a whale just seems good in general. Oh, you know what? No. Actually, no. Because I'm tempted to pick Jeff, but he is in the stocks, and the <laughs> stocks are bad. That's not fun. He's mostly living a blanket lifestyle, so I actually picked that cool orangutan. The orangutan? Like, I knew you were I'm here, I'm dancing, I'm here, I'm <laughs> dancing. It's the, it's, the, it's the malady that can't be cured. Uh, the orangutan's a good call. He seems pretty happy. Uh, yeah, he's got a good life. And the thing is, like, I don't think he wants to be cured. No. No, I mean, he just happened to be there. Yep. Uh, well, until next time. <laughs> uh, I will try to not watch the movie twice next time. Maybe I'll watch it four times. Oh God. I'll be Henry. I'll be Michelle. Experiment and fast forward to the future of acting. Hey,